0: As I was preparing this week for the sermon, thinking about Mark's the words of Jesus that Mark recorded, I was thinking of this book that I saw on my mom's end table. It's, uh, it was written by Richard Stern. It says, The Hole in Our Gospel. And it's talking about this, or it's this author, Richard, he's trying to get at understanding the gospel of Jesus and asking this important question, is the gospel about more than private and personal salvation? I'm wondering about this. And the reason why I was thinking about this is as I was reading Mark's gospel and reading the gospel, or listening again to the Jesus, or to the gospel that Jesus spoke, I was beginning to wonder, to ask this question myself, and with the help of other Christians like Mortimer Arias or Daryl Guter, trying to understand and to listen again and see that that Jesus, when he preaches the gospel, is so big. There's so much more to it. You see, Mark tells us that Jesus came preaching the gospel. He said, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe into the good news. Well, this morning we're going to dive into Jesus' gospel, the gospel that Jesus preached, and hopefully fill some of the holes in our own ideas of what the gospel is. Now, first thing we need to all know is that we all understand that at this fundamental level the gospel is about Jesus. As much as Jesus preached the gospel, the gospel was also about Jesus. About his life, his death, and his resurrection. The most important event in human history. Jesus. The gospel is about him. We see it in Paul's letters as he talks about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. He said, this is the good news. Believe into him. And there's no denying it that we need the good news. We need to understand and and realize what Jesus did in his life that he preached. That he taught us how to live. That he taught us about prayer. He taught us what it meant to, to love our neighbors. And that doing all the things right and being really, really, really religious wasn't what God was after. He was after our heart. And then he went and he lived these things out. Mark has this, has this great dichotomy. There's two parts. It seems that in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is doing one of two things. He's either teaching or doing. So we have Jesus' great life and the things that he taught, but also the way that he lived. We saw the way that he ate with tax collectors and Mm. sinful people. The way that he engaged them and spent time with them, welcomed them into the community of God. And in many ways, healing people, restoring them to the community which they lived in. So we need the life and we need the, the action of Jesus, the model that he gives us. But we also need the cross. We need the cross that Christ died on. Because by his wounds, we have been healed. You see, we struggle with sin. As humanity, as people, we struggle with sinfulness. We struggle with the things in our lives that we wish were different, the ways that we mistreat each other, sometimes the things that we think. We struggle with sin. And we need something to cleanse us of that, to make that right. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he bore our sin. That means he took the sin of humanity upon himself that we could be made right, that we could be set free from our own guilt, realizing that no longer does God hold us guilty, but that he loves us, that we too can set ourselves, we can be set free by God. You see, by his wounds, we have been healed. But also by his separation, we have been reconciled. You see, Christ bore the alienation, the wrath of God, so that we wouldn't have to, that we could be made right with God. Because God is holy. And because God is holy, He is just. And because He is just, He is angry at sin. The things that we do, the ways that people cheat each other or lie to each other, the ways that they hurt each other and violent with each other. See, God is angry at these things and He is right to be. I mean, imagine how broken and how horrible things would be if God was unholy. Imagine how horrible it would be if God was unholy unjust. Or didn't care about justice. Or in fact he would, what if God were corrupt? How horrible would that be? So we want a God who is holy. We want a God who is just. Who cares about justice. Who is angry at sin. But also then we need a Savior. Because we cannot save ourselves. And here comes Jesus. This sacrifice. This righteous man. Who, there was no sin in him this righteous man who comes and takes our place, stands in for us, taking care of God's justice because there still needed to be punishment for sin. He took this upon himself. God the Son took the punishment from God the Father. God, the only one who could endure his own wrath, God took the wrath that we deserved as humanity and arguably each of us as people. He bore the sin on the cross. And by doing it, He restored us to God. By His separation, we have been reconciled. You see, on the cross, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We hear in this moment the separation between God the Son and God the Father. That He bore this. He endured this so that we could be made right. On the cross, Jesus made it right for us with God. He reconciled us to God the Father. And we need this. We need this in our lives. There's no doubt about it. We need the resurrection, too. That Christ rose again. That he defeated death. That by his raising to life, we were raised to life as well. We've been given hope and life eternal. Not just life that goes on forever and ever, but life that goes on forever and ever with the living God. He's done this through the resurrection. We need the resurrection. You see, God has done all of this so that we could have a personal relationship with Him. There's no denying that. And it's so important to our faith. You see, He wanted to make sure that we didn't think that faith was about showing up with a certain group of people on Sunday morning. He wanted us to make sure that that we didn't mistake faith with doing certain things the right way all the time. That faith was about a personal relationship with Jesus. It was about knowing Him and following Him. There's no doubt about this. Salvation, personal salvation, is crucial. It's vital to our faith. It's a central part of the Gospel. But here's the thing. It's not all of the Gospel. As good as it is, there is more to the good news than this. As good as it is, there is more to to the good news. Jesus, when He came, He came preaching the good news. He said, The time has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe and follow. Repent and believe into it. So we begin to ask, well, this good news that the reign of God has come or that the kingdom of God has come. We're right to begin asking, well, what does this look like? It begs question of us, when is the kingdom of God? Because we look around us and we see things that are still broken. We see a world that still looks like it's kind of going on the way it always has. When is the kingdom coming? When is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus, in his words, he said, the kairos has been fulfilled. He doesn't say chronos, which we get the word chronology, or chrono, or time. What he's, not, he's saying here is not so much that the time or the, the number of days have come, but that the right time, the kairos, the decisive moment has come. God, this decisive moment for God to come it is here. And he said, "Then the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near." Now we think of this oftentimes in terms of time. It's coming soon, and I believe there's truth to that. But also, I think he may have been talking about near in the sense of location. In Christ, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus, the king, brings the kingdom. Where Jesus goes, the kingdom goes. Where Jesus is, the kingdom is. So in this sense, the kingdom is near. But also in the sense that the kingdom is near and that it is right next to reality. On just the other side of the way things appear to be, the kingdom of God is there. Near to us. So near to us that it actually impinges on the way we live now. The kingdom is near. But it is present here now and it is, the kingdom is coming. This is an interesting thing for us to think about because we realize that the kingdom is here. Jesus brought the kingdom of God. We live as citizens of the kingdom of God here in this world now. But also, the, the Holy Spirit is at work moving among us, even beyond us. Even outside of us, outside of this church, outside of Christians, the Spirit of God is still working in this world. The kingdom of God is present here. But it's also coming. Full consummation of the kingdom of God is still yet to come. And we pray for this. We wait for this. We hope for this. Maybe a way of describing or one of the things that's helped me is to think about it as the, the two words of reign and realm. You see, when we say kingdom, that's such a big word and there are so many different historical ideas of that. But it helps to think of it as reign of God and the realm of God the reign of god is present here now the reign of god is god's active work in the world the god is sovereign and he is at work and affecting the way things are done here now but we also listen to it and we see that the realm of god this area or this place where everyone realizes that god is king and all live under his rule you see the difference between reign and rule or so reign and realm the reign is here now God is already king now. And we, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we live here now. But we are waiting for the realm to come. We are waiting for the day when all people will recognize that God is king. That Christ is king. And live under his rule. So to see the kingdom is, is we understand, we are starting to understand of when the kingdom is and where the kingdom is. That the kingdom is present, though not yet fully come. It is here and changing the way things are. And we hope for it and we wait for it to return. And as important as it is for us to understand when and where, we also have this question of what. What is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? How will we know when we see it? Well, a great way, the first way to see the kingdom of God, the most obvious way, is to look at Jesus. Jesus. If you want to see the kingdom of God, look at Jesus, at His life, the way He lived, the way He spoke. Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. As I've said already, where Jesus is, the kingdom is. The kingdom of God comes and Jesus he speaks out through Mark that He was preaching, that He was healing and driving out demons. That He was pushing back evil. We see in His life the way that He preached, the things that He preached. But he told the people about what it meant to follow God, teaching them the right way to relate to God. And he healed. Helping the blind to see people who were lame and could not walk, restoring them. Healing people to the community of God. Healing people to other people. Restoring them to community. And we see the way that he drove out evil. The way that he rebuked demons. The way that he rebuked Satan and drove them back. Driving out evil, and injustice. But we also see the kingdom of God. We see it in Jesus, but we also see it in the ways that the kingdom works. When we, see, when we see healing in this world, we see the kingdom of God. We see people healed in their heart, mind, soul, and strength. We see the kingdom of God at work. We see people who are struggling with despair and discouragement, and their hearts are encouraged and their hearts are healed, a faithful friend comes and listens and encourages them, prays with them. We see the kingdom of God at work. And we see people in their minds and the things that we've been taught, the things that we've been taught about the way the world works and how it can undermine faith. It can make it hard for us to believe. We hear the kingdom of God, we hear the good news about Jesus, and it helps to see the truth It helps us to see that some of the assumptions that we have about the way things work, about science or life or reality, that those things are just other people's best guess. The Lord, the reign of God brings healing to our minds. It also brings healing to our soul. As we struggle, sometimes with faith, sometimes with the guilt we have for things that we've done or wish we would have done differently, the reign of God comes and brings healing for this. It restores us and it also restores our bodies people who who go and and are prayed for and they become healed their bodies are healed whether it's disease or disfigurement they are healed you see the reign of God is about healing it brings healing but it also heals the whole person not just their body Not just praying that they would accept Christ and be saved someday, but their whole person, their heart, mind, soul, and strength. The good news of the reign of God includes the whole person. But it also includes justice and mercy. The reign of God comes and it brings justice and mercy. Justice to those who are unjust, to those who are violent, who rape and murder and kill and steal and cheat. It brings justice. The kingdom of God brings justice. But it also brings mercy. Mercy for those who repent. For those who come with a broken heart and say, I am sorry. The kingdom of God brings mercy. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of what people have done, there is still hope. There is still a contrite heart, a broken heart, and repentance. But there's also mercy. and We are called to mercy as the people of God. To care for those who have been victims of abuse or oppression or violence. To care for those who are weak. Who always find themselves at the bottom rung. We are called to care for them. Because the reign of God cares for them. It cares for the weak, the disenfranchised, the dislocated. The reign of God brings justice. But it also brings shalom. The reign of God cultivates shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It's God's idea, the fullness of God's peace. Peace that includes not only the end of violence, not only have the guns stopped shooting, the tanks stopped driving, and the planes stopped firing missiles. Not only is the war over, but it's also the presence of joy. The presence of great joy, of celebration the presence of prosperity and abundance god's blessing plenty of good food to eat rich food to eat a good home a place to live good friends good relationships isaiah tried to get at this when he spoke about this day he tried to explain what the kingdom of god would look like he talked about it. he said on this mountain on this mountain the lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all people a banquet of aged wine and the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will he will destroy the shroud that enfolds the people and the sheet that that blinds or that covers the nations. He will destroy. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away the tears from every face. And he will remove. The disgrace or the people's disgrace from all the earth. This is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord has spoken. In this day, in this day, they will say, This is our God. We trusted in him and he brought salvation. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. And so we rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Trying to get at what that day would look like. What that shalom or what that peace of God would look like when we stand in God's when we live in God's presence. These are what the kingdom of God looks like. This is just an idea. This helps us to see what this kingdom looks like. But this is the good news that Jesus came preaching. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God or the reign of God has come. You'll know it when you see it in Jesus. You'll know it when you see it in justice, in healing, and in the shalom or the cultivation of shalom, of God's peace. If this is the gospel that Jesus preached, then I believe this is the gospel that we should preach. Because Christ has sent the church. As God has sent the Son, the Son has sent the church to go and proclaim this good news. This good news that not only do we have personal salvation in Jesus, not only is He our personal Savior, but He is also the King. He has also brought the reign of God. This new way of living in this world. As the people, we are called to live out this reign. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are called to live out this kingdom. Here in this church, in our lives when we're with people, to be a sign and a foretaste. A sign in the sense that by the way we live, we point to a better kingdom. A foretaste and that when people come and spend time with us, they will get a hint of what the kingdom of God is like. That when people gather here in this community, in this church, among us, that they would get just a taste of what the kingdom of God is like. Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect. We know we're not perfect. But that when people come here it would be different. When they spend time with us, that it would be different than what they would get out in the rest of the world. That we would be a place known for grace. For being gracious with each other. You know, I find it pretty common that most people, when they get angry, they don't want to talk anymore. Someone upsets them, they just cut them off. I don't even want to be with that person. I don't want to spend any time with them. But as a church, we would be different. You know, it's true, we're still human. Sometimes we still upset each other. Things still happen. But that we would be gracious, that we would forgive each other. That we'd be known as a community of grace. And because we are gracious with each other, that we'd be known as a place of reconciliation. We'd be a place where people are reconciled. But we don't let things just go on and on, but we work things out. We work problems out. Differences, we work them out that we be known as a place of love. Not a place where everybody acts like they get along. I mean, sometimes different personalities just don't go. That's okay. But we still are called to love each other. Maybe we don't spend tons of time together or with certain people, but when the chips are down, when they need us, we are there. Because we do love them. Because we love each other. Because God has loved us. Let this world, or let God be known by our love. By the way we love each other. By, we lo- by the way we love others. God has called us to be this community, to live out this kingdom here and now. I think of it almost like an embassy. This church is something like an embassy for the kingdom of God here in the Kootenays. It's quite a responsibility when you think of it like that. I don't know if you've ever been to an embassy in a foreign country. It's like this tiny little piece of home in a foreign land. And not only does it represent that country, but also when you go there, things are different. You can imagine what it'd be like if you were, say, in the Middle East somewhere, and you went to the Canadian embassy. Outside, people speak a different language. They act a different way. And then you go into the embassy, and there people speak English. They talk with you about hockey. They talk with you about how cold the weather is back home. It's like a place of sanctuary. But not only that, not only are you in a, new, or in a place where it's comfortable, but also the laws there are the laws of home. No longer are you in a place where the laws of the, the Middle East or the country where you're at, but now it's the law of home. In a way, this church is meant to be like an embassy here in the Kootenays. That we are sent here to proclaim the kingdom of God, to live out this, this faith, to live as citizens of this kingdom in this community. To live differently to be a blessing to this community, to our friends and to our neighbors. We are kingdom people, people of a different place who live here now. As people of God, as citizens of this kingdom, we are called to live out this faith. And then we're also called to serve it, to serve this kingdom, to go and bring healing to people. Help them with their heart. Help them with their mind, with their soul, and their strength, of their bodies. To pray for them when they're ill. We're called to go and to cultivate justice. To stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. To stand up against injustice. Things that are wrong. Things that are corrupt. We're called to do this. We're called to cultivate shalom. The fullness of God's peace. Not just, that things, not just that the war would be over, that the violence would stop, but there would be prosperity for all. That there, we would share, or we would talk about sharing with each other. We bring wholeness to people. That everyone would be celebrating. We're called to go and serve this kingdom. And we're called to announce it. That's one of the most important things we do, is announce that the reign of God has come. You see, sometimes we do things. We do kind things. We serve people because we love Jesus. Because of what he's done in our lives. And we go and we help them, we quietly help them. And they may never put the two and two together. I'm not saying that we showboat and we, we do things and then we parade you know, that we are Christians and we've done this because we love Jesus. But that at least we try and find ways, look for ways to make this connection for people. As tactfully as we can to make this connection that we love them or that we serve them because Christ has loved us. Because we believe that the kingdom of God has come. Because there are people who won't put the two together. I mean, there are kind people who live around us, who do good things for their neighbors. Who go and shovel sand on their icy roads or their icy driveways. Or the people who go and shovel someone else's sidewalk. People do good things, but it's when we make this connection, help make this connection between service and the kingdom of God. That's important. So that people would want to enter this kingdom. As Jesus talked about, that they would repent. That out of a broken heart, they would desire to live differently. They would apologize to God, apologize to others. They would turn around. They would leave those things and follow God. That they would repent and that they would believe. Not just that they would mentally agree with Mentally agree with the the aspect or the the proposition that Jesus is the Son of God? That sounds reasonable. Not like that. But that they would believe, in the Hebrew idea of believe, of to trust their life into. They would trust their life with this gospel. That they would live and follow Jesus, trusting their life to him. As a people of God, as the people of the reign of God, we are called to live out this faith. To live as kingdom people here and now. To go and serve this community in the name of the kingdom. Advancing the kingdom. And to announce that the kingdom has come. To remind people. To let people know of the truth. Today I hope you have heard something about the gospel. hope you have maybe heard something new. Or if your eyes have been opened. Or maybe that you have been reminded of how big this gospel is. How big the good news is. That not only is it about us and our relationship with God, but it encompasses this whole world. Every aspect of life and reality. The kingdom is big. You are kingdom people called to live out this kingdom here and now. Citizens of another realm living here under the reign of God. You too are called to go and proclaim this good news. The good news that the time has come. The decisive moment has come and affects us now. The kingdom of God, the reign of God has come near. Repent. Apologize and turn around and believe. Trust your life into the gospel. We are called to go and proclaim this good news. This is what I pray for us. I pray for this as a church. Amen.